When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What up, world? Sky fans, hello. Thank you for taking the time out of your afternoon. This is the CHGO Sky podcast. I am Chris Pennant. With the co-hostess, with the most is Stephen Garner, and our special guest today, the creator, the founder, the originator of the Women's Sports Matter podcast. Very happy to have Grant Dorsey on the show. As always, the CHGO Sky podcast is sponsored by DraftKings. Use code CHGO when you sign up the DraftKings Sportsbook and get $20 added to your account to start with. Shout out to Sheffield Wednesday. Shout out to my, my partner, Jennifer, getting me this for my birthday, Sheffield Wednesday, going up to the championship. We won't talk about all the other stuff that they've had to deal with recently. That was dumb. But anyway, Chicago Sky podcast had to wear the right colors. Um, Grant, so happy to have you on the show. The Women's Sports Matter podcast has been uh, a boon to not only women's sports, but the, um, the I think just the the landscape, the atmosphere of women's sports media over the last few years in general, and the fact that you not only uh, came back from Iceland to do this show with us, but you took time out of your busy schedule, Grant, social media, and graphics for Kane County Cougars to come into the studio. Appreciate it. First of all, it's an honor to be here. Um, Thank you for talking so kindly about Women's Sports Matter. Honestly, I think of it as a hobby, but I'm really glad that you see it that way as like something that's been really awesome for the women's sports community. That really means a lot. No, I mean, I've seen the growth myself. I think I think you got started around the same time I did with James and the Skyhook. And I've just seen everything explode. And you were very intentional about it, uh, putting in. not just 5%, putting in Mosque Mujeres, um, all the additions to the network and not just making, not just centering yourself, but putting in other hosts, bringing in other people who had different skill sets and broadening that network. That's important. That's a really great way to go about it. And like I said, I know that I'm still, it's still mind boggling to me just because I'm at that age that you graduated high school. It was it 2020? Yeah, it was class 2020. And you've done all this since then. I was like, in 2020, I was having trouble getting out of bed, you know, and you, you, you endeavored to do all this. So it's really incredible. You should be proud of it. Thank you. Well, Grant, happy to have you on the show. Um, just as you could talk more about that, like what led to the idea, the creation um, of, of WSM and and how you were able to create that outgrowth and how you kind of uh, took that love that you had, not just for women's basketball, but I know soccer is your passion too, and just sports in general and and what led you to the creation of of the Women's Sports Matter podcast. So it was boredom in the pandemic. That's usually what I tell people when um, I get asked about it. 
Uh, but also, I had this project for my intro to media class in my senior year of high school. And one of the assignments we had was an interview project. And originally, what we were going to do is invite this person into our school, do like a sit down type of talk show deal with them and interview them in person. Uh, but since it was the pandemic, it was around, I want to say, end of March, beginning of April, um, we were told we could pick anybody. And so I was like, I really want to get a Red Stars player that went to the school. So I Twitter DM Zoe Goralski and we talked for like a solid hour. And I actually use that interview as an episode in my show. So it's one of the episodes in the beginning uh, in season one of my show. And my teacher was impressed. He was like, this was amazing. And ever since then, I had a passion for interviewing people. And that's kind of how Women's Sports Matter got started. That's not the easiest thing, Stephen. I, I know you know just from um, your work doing post-game interviews, it's not the easiest thing to have that passion for interviewing folks, right? No, nah, it's definitely not. And I think you, you set a very solid foundation because, like you mentioned, it wasn't necessarily what you aimed to, but because it happened so organically, that makes it better, in my opinion, when it happens and it's not, like, calculated and you don't really have, like, a, like something that you're really trying to get to. It just kind of happened naturally. And, you know, here you are now, three years later. Here you I know? am, three years later. <laughs> That's dope. Thank you. No, it's 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 incredible. I know that you um, you're kind of winding things down for yourself on that front. As I, you know, life goes life goes forward. Um, like I said, Grant was a student manager for the University of Nebraska uh, women's soccer team. Came back from Iceland. Just got off the plane two hours ago. That I wouldn't say just. Just got off the plane. <laughs> no, you know, there was a private jet. Everything yeah. chartered. That's right. Sarah knows about that. Sarah's got the PJ on standby. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You already <laughs> know. <laughs> I came in to do the show, and we, we are appreciative. Um, we want to talk about some news that broke before we get into the business of, of X's and O's. Courtney Williams' signature shoe that just dropped with Moolah Kicks. Um, we've seen articles come out. Of course, my guy James K. did an article for the next hoops, uh, but we... We took a look at, at not only her shoe, but the uh, the history of signature shoes in the WNBA, going from the air swoops is way, way back in the day in 97 when, when things first broke out up till now. Lisa Leslie, uh, Candace Parker's had her two signature shoes. And it, it's, it's really cool, first of all, um, for Courtney Williams to get a shoe because I think she is such a a big, distinct, and bright personality and the shoes match that. Uh, so I don't know. If, I don't know if we can get those up on on the board. If we if we if we can get those up at some point, but I don't know. Have y'all have y'all seen it? Did y'all have a chance to look? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's dope, and I think I was always interested when I first heard about it what the specific color would be, just because again, Courtney is such a bright personality. She's such a unique personality. I was thinking it would be something that would stand out and. Once we finally were able to see the shoe, it definitely kind of matches, you know, the personality she has on the court and off the court and really just generally what she's kind of trying to get to in terms of continuing to evolve with women in the basketball space having their own signature shoes. Because there's so many players, so many athletes that are more than deserving that obviously aren't afforded the opportunity because of access and knowledge of the game on the women's side and things of that nature. So to see someone like Courtney 
earn her own signature shoe is, is dope. It's dope. And I think uh, kind of hearing her speak about it pregame uh, before the game on Sunday, uh, she was speaking about how a lot of shoes aren't fit to match a woman's foot, like the the structuring and the angles of the foot. Obviously, a woman's foot is different than a man's foot. So a lot of shoes, even if they were a signature, might not necessarily fit to that extent. So they literally took the imprint of a woman's foot, and that's where they expanded upon it, adding the different dynamics of the shoe. But the premise of it was actually being a woman's shoe. And I think that was a great start there. They picked the perfect person for their first uh, signature shoe uh, from the W. Uh, personally speaking, like Courtney Williams, probably one of the best energies in the league for sure. Um, and if you haven't seen her play yet, just look at her highlights. I mean, even in Connecticut <laughs> or for Atlanta, even now, I mean, she's just honestly the perfect athlete for Mula to sign and to get her own shoe. And the green is just beautiful. And it's not too bright. It's not too dark. It's the perfect shade. And even the logo on the tongue of the shoe, it's perfect. This is great overall for them. Yeah, no doubt. Like, I think that green really struck me because it's not – it's that, that deep forest green color, and you all can see it on, on the screen right now. First of all, like you said, that Moolah Kicks logo is super dope. Like, if, if, these, if these were shoes that were made for my foot, I would be buying a pair, even at the price tag. But I think it's just the way that it's found. I love a solid green. you got to have mesh in your shoes these days just for breathability. And then it looks like it could stand up to even, even the wear and tear of a professional basketball season where you're wearing a pair of shoes like every game or every couple of games. It looks like it could stand up for even more than that. And I think that's really dope. The one thing, though, that we, we were talking about pregame, that $180 price tag, and that is I, – I don't want to say it's a barrier for, for entry for some, for some young players who want to get this shoe, but it's tough. It's tough for me to say even now, like – I'm going to drop 180 on on a pair of kicks. I wouldn't do it. I mean, that's just me. I'm just this just me personally. I remember when I was playing uh, playing sports growing up, uh, all the different uh, shoes that I had to get, baseball shoes, soccer shoes, basketball shoes, like it we all um, I'll tell you a story from when I was in high school. I went to Juliet Catholic for my first two years of high school and so they all wanted to match and so I kind of felt pressured to get these same, you know, Nike Angel Blue type shoe. And they were like $120. And it's like, we're already paying for tuition. We have to pay to play the sport. And now we, we're, I'm feeling peer pressured <laughs> to buy these shoes. I, I still have them. Um, they were only used for a year. But it's definitely a barrier for a lot of people, even trying to get into a new sport in general. So I know they're a new brand, but... Uh, maybe hopefully if they get some sales going in, it'll uh, it'll the price tag will go down a little bit. I think um, just kind of me being somewhat in the shoe hemisphere of uh, culture. From when I was younger to now, it seems like there's been an evolution with parents and the willingness to go and spend money on shoes. <laughs> like I've, this is just me observing, and then me obviously knowing people around the same age as I am, that have children. Uh, there's certain shoes that my mom would not be dropping a certain number of dollars on, especially for a foot that's continuing to grow, that you yeah. might not be able to fit within the next seven to 10 months. Uh, there's been an evolution in that thought process in terms of 
what the the target number is that's deemed quote unquote too much for a pair of shoes. <laughs> so personally, for me, like if I was buying it for kid, for if I had a kid, I would do it just because I see kind of the, um, I just see what they're getting to in terms of exposure, in terms of adding another athlete. Like I would probably. If I was if I was to have had a child right now, I would try to buy a pair of Stewie shoes. I would get a pair of the Pumas that Skylar Diggins was yeah. kind of um, sporting uh, for the last two seasons up until now. Um, and then just a couple of the other players that have like their own signature shoes. Obviously, I would make her aware of the Cheryl Swoops of the world, the Lisa Lessies of the world, and um, just kind of try to get her as much ingratiated with that culture as possible. Just because it's so easily accessible to tap in with the men's side, like it doesn't take much effort or energy or research at all. It's always just blatantly in your face. So I would kind of invest in it in that respect. But I can definitely see how it would be a little bit steep, being one hundred and eighty dollars. But um, I just think the the, um, the dynamic of parents deeming what's too much and what's not too much uh, compared to what it was when I was younger is kind of fun to gauge. Man, that's that's interesting because I, <laughs> I distinctly remember not only going to shoe carnival, big up, you know, shoe, big up to shoe carnival. <laughs> that's a timestamp right there. They had, they had some of those brands. Like I was a K-Swiss kid. I really loved K-Swiss. But my mom was not only like, okay, here's what we can get but she was buying them like a half size bigger just so I kind of grew into them and she didn't have to keep going like every couple of months to get new shoes. And um, I I have a traumatic memory of of we put the shoes on the belt and the cashier was like, like, can we get a price check on these boats? And I was, wow, (laughs) you wanted to just like disappear. It was one of those moments. But I think the, the funny thing about that is I looked at the Courtney shoe. You can only get them in size 10, too. So it's not only that they're trying to. I know, right? Yeah. Just like Sarah was like, what? That's the only size they offer, period? It's just size 10. What? Because Courtney's a size 10, and they're like, hey, this is, this is the size that you can get these I'm in. a size 9, though. Well, then they'll fit you, I guess. <laughs> you just put, put, like, back in the old days, put two pairs of socks on and go to work. That's hilarious. They're limited edition, too, so I, mm-hmm. I can understand why it's only a size 10. Mm-hmm. You know, this all makes sense. It's Courtney Williams, right? She's a one of one. Like, That's I right. really haven't seen anybody who, who is like her in, in, in so many different regards, so... Mm-hmm. If you, you want to put something out that's almost like a collector's edition, like you're going to play these, but you're still going to put them on, on your mantelpiece when you're done, it makes sense to me. And I was like, I think the, I think the Moolah Kicks brand and Trey Five, those are, those are Moolah Kicks. That's uh, Moolah with an H, M-O-O-L-A-H. Um, we were talking about the Neovolt Pros, the like kind of uh, player exclusives that they've got. And they've got a lot of people who they're putting on their social media um, Grant, you saw Destiny Henderson, Maddie Segrist has yeah. been on a lot of their Instagram posts. So I think um, even outside of the Courtney Williams, which is great for the sky, great for Courtney, but I'm, ex- I'm excited to see where that brand goes in general over the next few years. And if they focus on veterans versus rookies or people in their first or second year, especially with, from what I've seen, it's only been Maddie and Destiny and then Courtney with the shoe now, so... I just love the ambition behind it, to have it. I wasn't aware of it only having one size. Uh, That kind of really speaks to what they're trying to get to. I love the ambition behind it because obviously that's a unique approach in terms of establishing a brand, establishing a signature athlete with the shoe, um, just making things really, really rigid. Like if you're going to do it, you're going to do it for this, and this is what you get, you know. I I like that. I like that. It's, It's very unique. 
And good lookout, Trey Five. That is uh, the green for South Florida, where Courtney um, yep. went for her college career. That is represent. It's just it's just dope. Even though like South Florida has has had athletes come through in the, over the past 10, 15, 20 years, but I don't think Courtney got as much shine when she was in college just because it was a mid major. Um, but yeah, I've, it's they've got a great color scheme, and they, they made it a point of like, hey, we're gonna. You know, represent you where you not only where you come from, Georgia, but where you went to school, where you where you made yourself. We got a lot more coming up on the sky, and we want to talk. Take time out for these games that are coming up. If anybody out there is trying to figure out, was like, well, you know, it's it's hard for me to get tickets. I'm trying to get courtside. I'm trying to sit next to that dude who wears the platform shoes down on on the courtside at Wintrust Arena. Game time is the place to go. I know when I have missed out on getting credentials. I've had to hustle up and, and hit game time to get to get those tickets. They are the best, best, best app to find last-minute tickets guaranteed um, anywhere, not just in Chicago, but just out in New York for our last show, and we were trying to figure out um, a Mets game, a Broadway show that my partner wanted to go see, and we, we couldn't end up going, but we checked out game time. So most definitely you got to check out game time. Uh, app for your Chicago Sky for your Chicago Sky tickets for tickets anywhere in the city if you're hitting up a Red Stars game check game time out get $20 off when you use that code CHGO and download the game time app when you create an account and again use that code CHGO get $20 off your first purchase terms apply and download game time today last minute tickets lowest price absolutely guaranteed Shout out to everybody joining us for the show today. Again, we've got Grant Dorsey here, founder of Women's Sports Matter Podcast Network. As always, the best X's and O's man, Stephen Garner. Uh, Stephen, we're going to get into some of those X's and O's now because it's we got to address the last week. Sky uh, went from five and three to five and seven. A couple of tough losses in there. A couple of losses that you might expect um, playing the Aces in Las Vegas. You know, it's, it's one of those years where people are going to go into to, um, Michelob Ultra and take their lumps and leave. But there have been some good things over these past couple of weeks. Um, I think we were talking about it. We've seen Dana Evans uh, find her footing a little bit more shooting-wise. And I know you were talking about in, in the article that you posted her patience and ability to control the game with her eyes, kind of like um, a quarterback, just going through those reads, like seeing where the ball needs to move, how the ball needs to move on the floor. So even in these four losses, that's been a good takeaway. What else have you seen over the last week that's been something that this guy can hang their hat on? Well, the one the one topic that is as recurring as anything with this team this season <laughs> continues to be Atlanta oh. Smith. <laughs> There's no way you can watch five minutes of Sky basketball and not think she is amazing. Like, whether it's offense, defense, whether she's doing stuff in screening, whether she's doing stuff off the ball on defense, whether she's guarding on the ball, hedging out, switching, communicating, um, cleaning up messes on the fly. She's just she's just so active. She's never not doing something positive and conducive to winning. And she just doesn't miss a beat. Like, even if she has a game where she doesn't score or score efficiently, um, like she did against the Mystics. She still had a lot of plays that she made on the defensive side, a lot of deflections, a lot of communication that kind of um, made up for things that may have been slippage in terms of switching and things like that. She's just she's just a brilliant basketball player, and I think she's 
uh, so far this season might might be the MVP to be honest. That's how effective and impactful she's been, especially punching out of her Dean role when they signed her to the team. She wasn't expected to be the starting four, and she wasn't expected to even be the starting four and be this effective, no less or no more. Uh, so the fact that she's holding it down to the extent that she is just really speaks to where she is and how impactful you know she is in establishing her role on the team already through these first handful of games. Some may even see say all-star worthy okay i was I wondering who was gonna bring it up first no i was alana has been i think her shooting percentage alone really speaks for herself she had that first game against minnesota and was perfect from every part of the field i think it was um actually i got it from in front of five for five three for three from three and two from uh two for two from the free throw line and it was like i remember saying it's like a lot of smith's true shooting percentage is like one, it's like 1,126, mm. and I wonder if that's sustainable for a full season. And then she's had at least one more game where she was, was perfect. She um, did it against, two weeks later. Yeah, that game against the Liberty that the sky <laughs> mm-hmm. lost and that Brianna Stewart shot, seven for seven and four for four from three. And she was about, she was looking like she was going to do it again in the last game against, um, against Washington, and I don't think she hit a shot in the second half, but you're right. Like, her ability to rotate on switches, um, to rotate on help defense, to clean up messes at the rim, and even guard perimeter players, you know, we haven't seen yet. I think when we get to see Las Vegas again, you might see her have some trouble with, with, you know, players like Chelsea Gray or quicker players like Jordan Canada. But she is adept at guarding switches on the perimeter. And even as this guy, you know, slipped below 500, James Wade has said defense is so much of their identity and being able to have those players like her and Elizabeth, her and Elizabeth Williams together are, it's like a number two pencil eraser. You just clean up so many mistakes. I don't know, Grant, like I know that when we started the year, you've been working, you've been working on, on pretty much three jobs, but um, I think the the Alana Smith and Elizabeth Williams questions were like, how are they going to fit in this offense that that has for so long required ball movement and spacing, and it's been incredible to see them work together on the floor. I think when I first saw all of the different signings that they made, it's kind of like first, how does chemistry work out for them? They had so many different signings. I was a little worried. I thought, oh no. This might be the Red Stars, uh, quote, quote unquote. Yeah, nothing bad against them, honestly, <laughs> though. They're, they're dealing with a lot right now. But, you know, they're fine. Fifth is not bad right now. And I think they still need a little more time together to get that chemistry fully going, probably by after All-Star break. Um, but with Williams and Smith, I think it's a perfect pairing. And... Honestly, we'll see how the rest of the year goes, but I still think the Sky will be in playoff contention and they'll probably be the most helpful out of everyone else to get them to the playoffs. Yeah, I think I, can, I, I agree. I, 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 I postulated 25 wins out of 40, and it's, it's hard to get back to that once you've seen how they've, how they've worked over the last week. Getting Morgan Birch back helped. You saw her impact as soon as she came on the floor. But those, those other injury losses, Rebecca Gardner and Izzy Harrison, you can tell they really took something out of what this guy wanted to do on both ends of the floor. 
And I think it's a testament not only to the team and the coaching staff, but that that chemistry that, that has come together, even in it gradually as, it, as it's been, that they are five and seven, missing somebody who was going to be playing heavy minutes. Actually, two players who were going to be playing heavy minutes. And it's like, Steven, I know that, you know, Rebecca Gardner being so central to that defense, we're talking about Dana Evans. She's picked up a lot of that slack. Yeah, she has. Dana's been just so good. Um, spoke to her on media day, and she emphasized defense. A lot of the questions she got asked were kind of uh, teetered to her offense, which, I mean, she's one of the – she's a scoring point guard, and she knows how to get buckets when she – and she does it in a way that's very um, – it's very entertaining. Um, so, obviously, naturally – at face value, you're going to think of her as an offensive player, but she really emphasized nailing the little things and doing it consistently in a sustained manner on the defensive side. And, I mean, from game one in the preseason, we saw her coming out, picking up players 94 feet, turning them two, three times, making it hard for them to find a rhythm, dribbling and initiating offense, and then that bleeding into turnovers and then them playing in transition from there. And, I mean, there's a compilation of plays that she already has under her belt to start the season as is, doing just that. Uh, and I think that may be the biggest thing that kind of stands out for her if we're talking about her kind of somewhat filling in for Rebecca Gardner's that spark plug off the bench in a sense. Mm-hmm. Because obviously what Rebecca does better than almost anybody on the perimeter in the W is defend and defend with abundances of activity and being as impactful as any player in any stretch of the game when she's out there on defense. So Dana's been holding it down there at the point of attack rather than on the wing, uh, which is where Rebecca typically does her business at. But, yeah, Dana's been amazing. And I think uh, obviously on a hardship contract, but Taylor Soul has yeah. come in and she's – Again, you can't ever replace Rebecca Gardner, so don't take it as that. But she's brought a lot of that Swiss Army knife type activity on both ends of the floor to where she's been being a handoff hub on offense sometimes, sometimes uh, coming off of pick and rolls and DHOs. And then on defense, she's switching out. She's guarding uh, anywhere between Natasha Cloud and Elena Deladon and everywhere in between there. So she's come in with the minutes that she's been given, and she's been – already kind of etching out a little role for herself in this short-term opportunity for her. Yeah, Grant, if you get a chance uh, to watch that, that game back against the Mystics on Sunday, Taylor Soul in the first quarter and, and mm-hmm. throughout some, some points in the second half was really a, an energy spark. And I, I think you expect that from players knowing that it's a 12-team league, you only got 144 spots. So any time you get is time that you are auditioning for 11 other teams or however many other teams in the world to get a spot but there was one specific play in the sky where helpful enough to me to highlight this on their website they clipped and I was like great I can talk about this play that I just saw but she threw a lightning fast pass to Marina Mabry on the wing who was already like the defense was already kind of cheating over to that side and it allowed for it allowed ended up like a just an easy cut on a pass back because uh, the defender on her side had to come off and help for the three-point shooter. And Taylor Soul just pretty much like threw the ball from the top of the key, waited, just kind of walked in, and then made a lightning-fast cut to the right side for an easy layup. And this is a player that we haven't got a chance to see that much so far this year. And that's pretty much been it for the sky. Her, Robin Parks... Um, other players coming off the bench who wouldn't normally get enough time. Even Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, it's like n- when James Wade said in preseason that Alana Smith was going to make the team, I was I was like, um, are you sure you want to hang? Was like, is this a player you sure you want to hang your hat on, knowing what they're coming out of? 
Um, two years removed from a championship, a disappointing end to last year, and like all the questions about free agency, all the players who left, and the last time we saw Alana Smith get really significant minutes was her first year with Phoenix, and it was really underwhelming. Uh, it was it was very confusing then, and now you know once again James Wade on the overseas market looks like a genius in terms of his his decision making. Last piece in the puzzle type deal. Yeah, especially, like, again, with no Izzy Harrison. And you were expecting Izzy Harrison to get significant minutes and be not only a presence on the team, but a presence in this, in this market, in this media market. I do want to go to um, – we don't have the clip because it's, it's probably not safe for, for, for work, but uh, James Wade, his post-game comments after the loss to Indiana – um, if y'all are listening and you have, if you, it's on YouTube, if you have a chance, uh, go out there and, and take a look. But uh, it's been a fairly consistent refrain during his tenure about the sky not getting calls. But this one was, I mean, we saw it on Sunday. If Megan McCune was doing the game on, on, on Marquee. And she was upset. <laughs> the Mystics shot 18 free throws in the first quarter and 24 for the game. So if, you, if your math skills are good, that means they shot a third of the free throws in three quarters that they did in one quarter. And on Friday, the, the Indiana Fever, who have up-and-coming great Aaliyah Boston, uh, Grace Berger, Victoria Vivians, and Stephen Kelsey Mitchell that we were talking about, Man. People who have the ability to get to the foul line. He was very adamant that they, that's, he said, quote, that team did not deserve to shoot 24 free throws. And it wasn't necessarily the difference in the game. It was another close game, a two-point game. But I checked on the stats over James Wade's five years as head coach. And his first year, I think they, sh- they had uh, the sky shot like 17, had like 17 free throw attempts a game, just under 18. And that was 2018 when Diamond DeShields was at her best. And, you know, we didn't get to see the best of Diamond DeShields after that, unfortunately. But ever since then, they've ranked in the bottom half of the league in free throw attempts. And this year, I think the attempts allowed is like fifth, which is way different for them. The question I have for y'all is, as, as, as much as he might have a case, how do you deal with the fact that your team is not getting foul attempts when it's something that's in the hand? It's not really in your hands as it, as is like a layup or a jump shot or even making the right pass turnovers like you have to depend on referees so how do you really work that into your game plan when it's something that you can't really control uh, I think philosophy wise and in terms of looking at the team's shot profile it's more perimeter oriented this season and even more so than it was like last season it seems at least optically um, so when your approach is taking more jump shots, more mid-range jump shots, obviously more attempts from deep, and you really only have, like, let's say three slashers that are consistently putting pressure on the paint and pressure on the rim, obviously those slashers being Dana Evans and at the top of that, Kalia Copper, and then players like Rebecca Gardner that are consistently, like, I mean consistently putting pressure on the rim, that's where you kind of force referees' hands in making a call because, A, they're anticipating that this player at any given moment could blow past their defender, and that might be a foul. Or at the next level, when they get to the paint, there's going to be a foul that comes there. I think 
some of the some of the um just the dynamics of some of the players on the roster this season kind of lends itself to them not necessarily getting as many whistles as they might desire. Um, that being said, a player like Atlanta Smith, for some of the calls that she gets um, tagged against her on the defensive side, to see some of the contact that she takes on time after time after time on offense and there not be a whistle that comes in her favor more often than not is where I can definitely start seeing where James has an issue with the slight of whistle that they're receiving in a sustained manner over the course of this season. And it's, it's definitely something that stands out if you actually watch, like, really, really watch the games where you can, like, pause it and you can, like, rewind it and see, like, okay, how is that not a foul? But, <laughs> like, five plays later, she just got called for this. And then, you know, we see this, and then there's, not, there's nothing called or ends up being a turnover or an offensive foul against this guy. And it's like, okay, it's, it's not quite making sense. I can definitely get where he's coming from with that. Uh, but I do think some of their offensive, uh, the approach of some of the players doesn't really lend itself to them getting that many whistles in comparison to other teams. They say the refs are, they are need to go back to the books. There's no fines. <laughs> we, we can't get fines, so you can talk about the refs all you I want. I would say they are having the same, if, if I'm going to bring up soccer again, um, Everyone knows that NWSL refs are the worst and just <laughs> horrible. They're, they're horrible. Uh, the one that I'm trying to think of. It's insulting at this uh, point, honestly. Like Katie Chesney or whatever her last name is. She's definitely the worst. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I can agree with you on what you said. Honestly, another soccer thing uh, here. You sell it more, I guess. For I, sure. I don't know. That's part of basketball, <laughs> and this and this in this era, selling it is definitely a thing for sure. I think you made a great go. point with that. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I think in that regard, because that's, that's that game against the Mystics, you could tell they really tried to make a point of getting the ball to Elizabeth Williams, and pretty much making it the like impossible for the refs not to make calls, because this guy and James Wade's and his coaching staff predicate on ball movement so much and trying to get the defense off balance that when they were able to get the ball down low, she got free throw attempts. And she, I think, was was really a good sign for them is that she was converting at a high percentage. But you're still seeing, like, Kalia Copper, who we're going to talk about in a second, and Courtney Williams, and even, even Marina Mabry, for as much as she uses that, you know, that cross-face chicken wing to get free, she's still getting – there's still contact – when she's going up for shots, if she's getting to that mid-range jump shot, especially for Ka. Like, I want to go into that in a second, just Kalia Copper season. But it's really, there's, I don't understand how a slasher like her is not getting more times, more opportunities at the foul line, especially for a player who's made such an impact in the league. Yeah, that's the that's the thing for me. So I think it's, it's abundantly obvious that Kalia is the best slasher in the W. And she might be the best slasher from a guard perspective in all of basketball. I put her against anybody like John Moran in terms of their ability to get to the basket, how the methods and uh, the dynamics and ways they're able to get to the basket and the ability to finish on top of all of that. I put her toe-to-toe -to -toe against anybody in all of basketball in terms of that from a perimeter. And to see somebody that's so consistently obviously fouled or at least guarded, guarded the way that she is, and, you know, for the whistle to not be there, 
That's going to be checks. It's, There's so much That you have to do Because you can't stay In front of her So you have to do These little things Like hold on to her shorts Or give her An extra nudge Because you just you, Like you just Physically Athleticism wise You can't stay In front of her So if you're getting Away with doing These little things Over the course of a game And you're not getting Those calls on the other side Or it's slighted against you Versus you not getting it When you have the ball you know, that, that's where it starts to become problematic with your process on offense. Now, you don't want to put yourself in that position because you're not getting the call and you don't want to waste the possession. So now, for, for Kai, she might get past her defender and she might end up determining to uh, take a pull-up midi or take a soft-touch floater instead of going all the way to the basket like she typically would, you know? Yes, yeah, sir. we got that graphic up for Kai's field goal percentage from last year to this year. And you can see, you know, from the player that we've watched – over these past five years, for Kyle to be shooting less than 50% at the rim, like it's not, there's no injuries that she's dealing with noticeably. Um, the mid range percentage that, you know, we talked about her in the mid range preseason and as it goes on, if she could hit that mid range jump shot off fast breaks or just like get free off of a, not even a pick and pop, just like an ISO play and get to the foul line and shoot, that makes her game so much better. But so much of her game is predicated on being able to get to the basket off the dribble. And I can't imagine a world that makes sense in terms of, of officiating where Kalia Copper is shooting under 60, like under 60% at the rim and still only going to the free throw line, um, I think it's three times a game this year. Well, like we, don't, we don't have that data up, uh, but I think she's getting like three free throw attempts per game. I, you know, I want it's. It's hard for me to. It's hard for me to imagine. Blame the refs. Blame the refs. Always blame the refs. Always blame the refs. Honestly. So you mentioned. So is is Katie Chesney more of a Cheryl Flores analog in terms of like how bad she is? Because Cheryl Flores is one of those that really wants to be a part of the game. You can tell. Honestly, I'm gonna agree with you there. That's what a lot of uh, Woso people say. <laughs> um, it's honestly embarrassing, though, with, with the NWSL refs, but I'm sure, I again, I haven't really watched a lot of W games this year, so I'm probably not the best one to comment on how the refs are doing for everyone else compared to us, but there's probably, like, some society they created to be against James Wade. Well, I was like, you want to – I mean, I only just started getting into women's basketball this year, and a lot of it was because of Big Ten and college yeah. with women's basketball. I mean, that was at least my first hand watching how bad the refs are compared to at least the men's sport is, like, is that last game, the Iowa and the LSU game. Yeah. I mean – I mean, you oh, could go. Yeah. You, we could talk about that for hours on how horrible the calls were and the refings and just the overall dynamic of even how that the, game was. The entire Elite Eight for the women's side, to be honest, because even oh, yeah. the South Carolina game, there were a lot of calls where it's like, okay, this is not this is not what it was in the first half well, the thing or the is, first quarter, rather. Yeah, like, these women, these refs, like, they're just not used to being at a certain level as where, obviously, we're now taking the women's leagues as we're taking it to this level of where it deserves to be and where it's supposed to be now. And so I think a lot of that, you just got to kind of retrain the refs. And those women, too, those refs, they're not used to being in coaching or not coaching, but refing those, like, type of games, that level of a game. And so I think they're just – just need to retrain them. Yeah, I think especially on the collegiate level, but even more so on the professional level, there needs to be more investment. Like we talked about it recently, um, people talking about expansion, expansion of teams, expansion of rosters. Like all that stuff is good, but to improve the on-court product even before you get to that, I think investing more in your own officials is 
maybe it's param- it could take paramount to anything else because that's going to elevate the product on the court, which is obviously what matters most. And, you know, if you have a better level of officiating, that's going to make the product on the court better. It's going to obviously lead to less uh, quarrels from coaches and players post-game, not just with the Sky. I know you say you've only really seen Sky games, but that's a league-wide issue. Uh, seems like more so this season than in seasons past. Uh, that's, that's a change that needs to come, and they need to, like I said, just invest in their own officials. I think that'll help them leaps and bounds um, with evolving the league and evolving the brand if they can do that. I totally agree. Yeah, I think it was um, Maggie Hendricks who said um, she, she postulated that some of the negative talk about officials was kind of leading people to not want to officiate. And it's not to disagree with Maggie, but officials are never going to be liked unless you don't really hear or see them as much. <laughs> yep. You know, it's like those are the ones that you really are like, oh, well, they, you know, they made whatever calls, but you didn't really see them in the game. You didn't remember their name as much. And then you look up and you're like, you know what? All these games have been pretty smooth. You haven't had any complaints. And I think just to be an official in any sport, and this is not to take, you know, this is not to push back and say, like, all oh, the people that we've talked about during the show are good at, their, are good at what they do. But you're going to have to be prepared to take on a level of, of abuse from the fans, from some of the players, from the coaches. Like, you got to have a real thick skin to be an official. And I think that's just something it's like – it's kind of like defense to me. Like, you, you got to – either you have it or you don't. You have that mindset or that personality for defense or you don't. And you have that mindset or personality to be a referee or an official or, or you just don't because you could – I umpire recreational softball – and there's been some nights where I went home like, I just need some ice cream and a bath. <laughs> and that's not pro, you know? You got to deal with a lot. And so if you're dealing with that for pro sports, where who knows what they're saying to you, it's, I want to see more people come in and, and want to do that job, but you got to really want to do that job. Like You got to want to collect that check. Yeah, that comes with investing in that specific sub-segment of your your brand, but that also comes with um, with officials. That's part of it. Like you can't be official and not you can't be an official and not be able to communicate what a call was and why it was what it was in real time. Like if you can't do that, then in my opinion, you just shouldn't be an official. I've officiated flag football games at a co- on a competitive level, to where if you're asked a question and you can't answer it like feasibly then you probably shouldn't be in that position if you can't give credence to why you made a call or why you didn't make a call in real time, not to appease somebody, but to justify what you did and why you, why your reaction is what it was. I think that's part of it. And I also think, um, I think Carly Bell is who consistently mentions it in the mm-hmm. media rooms that they need to stop borrowing NBA officials or G League officials and stop using the W as a breeding ground for developing officials mm-hmm. as if it's not a professional sport. It's a professional sport, so guess what should match the professional level of the athletes, the officials. You shouldn't be having guys or women or just officials in general being developed while these professionals are playing on a professional. Like, it just doesn't make sense, you know? So I think once they can undo that disconnect and address it appropriately by investing in that and training the referees the same, I think that'll help, again, um, just increase the level of – just increase the um, 
just the product, the product on court, making it what it should be to where it's not as much of an issue to where we're not using podcast segments to speak on <laughs> officials or coaches aren't deviating from questions post-game because of them feeling that they were slighted by the officials. Like, it's not just James. It's across the, it's across the W. I'm seeing coaches answering questions post-game, and then they in answering the question, they think, oh, yeah, you know what? A large part of why this is an issue, why we didn't get the result we wanted is because of – the inevitable with the officials like that's it's not a good look it's not a good look no that's true I think that's something you really like like to see in the playoffs or you expect to see in the playoffs but not during the regular season um, I did see a jump ball called on on Sunday that was an actual jump ball so that was good you know that was a held ball for once the two Solid players were Thursday yeah I was too. like yes you know no they didn't just call two players having their hands on the ball and they were like that's a jump ball uh the DraftKings pick of the week this week um, Atlanta is at, at Dallas tonight, and Alicia Gray, you can make 100 or $5 on 100 if she scores over 20 and a half points. And at this point in the season, I'm counting on Alicia Gray for at least 20 points a night. So you can get an extra bucket in, that, in there somewhere. So Alicia Gray, over 20 and a half, gets you plus 105 tonight. Atlanta at Dallas, that's the DraftKings pick of the week. Grant Dorsey, once again, thank you for coming on the show. Please let people know where they can find you and what you'll be up to. I have too many different things to promote. <laughs> um, well, like Chris said, I work at the Kane County Cougars, and on June 30th, we're having our Women in Sports Night. So I know there's a Sky game that day, but if you don't feel like going down to the city and you live in the Burbs, head over to Geneva at Northwestern Medicine Field. We've got my friend Sabria Whitaker with Grow the Game. She's going to be there. We've got some folks from the Red Stars. We have a very special guest that I can't reveal, but I'll tell Ooh. you that she is from the area, so I'm not allowed to reveal who it is. I Sally cannot. Quig- Sally Quigley. Watch, Chris. Watch it's Sally Quigley. I don't know. I, didn't I don't say know. It. I'm just saying. It's I can't Sally get Quigley. in trouble Watch. at work, but I didn't say it. Um, so there's gonna be a special guest there. Um, if you want to follow my podcast network on Twitter, it is at W Sports Matter, and on Instagram, YouTube. Uh, any other social media you can think of, it's Women's Sports Matter. And if you want to follow my personal account on Twitter, it's at GrantDorsey20. Thank you again, Chris and Steven, for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. No problem. Steven, I know you got stuff coming out. Check allchgo.com for Steven's articles coming up throughout the season. Again, if you missed it, read his last piece on Dana Evans. It's incredible, showing so many of the plays and the things that she do does well that, that keeps the sky moving. Uh, for our producer, Sarah, superhero. I saw you with the Marvel shirt on today. I like that. Oh, my God, yeah. This has a bunch of stuff on it. I got it at the Dead Show. There was, like, one of the vendor guys. Oh, that's right. You had that Grateful Dead Show yeah, last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I don't know. I thought, they were, I thought it was a cool shirt. I don't know. Support your small businesses. Appreciate <laughs> everybody right. who guessed it in with us, checked in with us on the CHGO Sky podcast. Until next time, folks, keep your feet on the ground and keep your head above the clouds.